You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. The leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, and our focus is on mastering communication as an essential leadership skill so that you can command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal in any context. My guest this week is Luke Belleri. He is the CEO of Members' Choice Credit Union based in Houston, Texas. Luke is a results-oriented, strategic leader who's passionate about the credit union movement and helping people to achieve their financial goals. He possesses deep expertise in retail, lending, and strategic financial management. Luke, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. Now, what is your fun fact? My fun fact, I love to fish. I go fishing nearly every other weekend. I have a house on the water, boats, all of that, but I hate the taste of fish. <laughs> Cannot stand it. Enjoy fishing, but do not enjoy eating it. But my friends and family do have the freezer fulls after I go on trips. Uh, well, you let me know when the next one is and I will be down in Houston before you can uh, say lickety split. That sounds great. So you're very popular. Definitely will. Nice. All right. Well, what about Members Choice Credit Union? Give us your 30 second elevator pitch. Sure. Members Choice Credit Union. So we are a credit union based out of Houston, Texas. And really a credit union is a financial co-op where our whole meaning for existence is to support the consumers with their financial needs and their financial goals. Because we are a co-op, we're actually owned by our members versus like large banks who are owned by their shareholders. So again, we're working directly for our owners every day as we build products and services to support their financial goals. Beautiful. And what is something that you wish more people understood about your role, company, or industry? And what is your role personally in changing this perception? One of the major misconceptions with credit unions nationally is the fact that traditionally credit unions had been sponsored by a organization or company. And through that sponsorship, somebody could become a member. While that is traditionally correct, those times essentially have passed. Now, most credit unions and organizations, you can actually join if you live in the communities that the credit unions are in. So for me, aside from our marketing team trying to promote that fact, for me personally, anytime that I go out into the community where I'm engaging with individuals, meetings, etc., I like to remind people or inform people that you can join a credit union. Credit unions have a whole range of benefits that the consumers don't even realize that we have and do. So I try to communicate that. And through that dissemination of information, my goal is that through a chain-like approach that more and more people will learn that you don't have to be a employee of a specific group anymore. Now, what is a time when you thought you did a great job of explaining something only to have the listener look at you like a deer in the headlights? What happened? I have, through the majority of my career, had the benefit of having executive coaches. Hmm. And in that, with the executive coach, I had a, a really great coach, a uh, doctor in philosophy, and her role was to help upskill my communications to where I can begin talking to board of directors and so forth. And 
she did a really great job in helping me to upskill. But embedded in that, I was working so hard to improve my communications and be prepared to speak at boardroom level that I began speaking at that higher level all the time. Mm. And through that, where I had once received great marks from those around me, where I was speaking plain, it was very understandable. I began to sometimes kind of speak over their head, perhaps mm. thinking, speaking on more strategy versus tactical. And so what happened is I kind of began to lose my audience when I was doing that. So fortunately for me, I had great people around me and they gave me some negative feedback. That isn't always good to hear, especially when you've been working so hard to improve yourself. Yes. But it let me know that I had to make a change. And so the change wasn't at the boardroom level anymore. It was that I needed to judge and understand where everyone's competencies were at and change how I address them based off of that audience. Because otherwise, I'm losing them that are more tactical. I lost them. And if I were to speak more tactical at boardroom level when they're used to talking strategy, I'd lose them. So understanding who that audience was was imperative. And so would I change that? I would say no, because it was a valuable lesson learned for me that I will always modify how I communicate and how I engage based off of the audience going forward. That's really the key is the modification. And it's not about, am I talking down to someone? Am I talking this or that? Or who's smarter? Who's? It's what's relevant, right? It's really about what's relevant to them. Everybody's listening from the same radio station, WIFM. What's in it for me? You're exactly right. It has nothing to do with smarts. It just has to do with where are they at? And how do I engage at where they're at versus doing it at all one level, which it didn't work. And I was told (laughs) it didn't work. And I learned a valuable lesson to know and learn my audience before I do that communication. And it can be hard to take that feedback, isn't it? When you've invested so much time and money and resources and effort trying to learn to speak in that new manner for that new group, that audience, that high stakes community at listeners. And so you feel like, okay, I finally figured out how to break that code. And then you turn around and somebody else goes, yeah, we don't want you to do that anymore. Go back to the other way. Undo everything that you just spent all this time trying to beat into your skull. Is that kind of the feeling that you had? I worked terribly hard to upskill myself, terribly hard. And yes, I would say it was rather disappointing. But what I found was that I was getting great marks from the coach and not necessarily great marks from those around me. And so it meant more to me to make sure that that audience was the benefactor of that communication. And yes, anytime that you work really hard and it doesn't come to fruition how you'd like it to be, it's somewhat of a disappointment. But again, like I I mentioned, I wouldn't change it. It was a, a lesson learned. And now I know how to modify my communications based off the audience. I think it's so important that what we're really teaching is adding tools to your communications toolbox. So when you're speaking with your team the original way, with the more tactical focus, consider that your hammer and you are speaking to the board. It can be a saw. It's not that hammers or saws are better or worse, but you need to know, are you trying to nail two pieces of wood together? Are you trying to cut one of them in half? At which point, pull out the right tool. Don't just try to be a one-trick pony with that. I had the same challenge. I had these massive flashbacks as I was hearing your story back to grad school because my original intention in doing my doctorate was professorship. So learning the language of academia, learning to write like a researcher, learning to speak like a professor, all that kind of stuff. I was good at it. And then I 
you know, the wind sort of shifted and I found myself doing all this kind of work and people kind of looked at me and went, so English, do you speak it? Hmm. And I went, but yep. Okay. And just learning how to shift back again, but being able to pull out what you need, when you need it, when it works for you. And now you've got two sets. Exactly. Yes. Now, most of the time I get good marks on both sides, the board (laughs) side, as well as the team side. We always do seem to keep looking for grades, don't we? Just the need to get a higher score. We want that A+. We do, you know, especially when you're a goal-oriented individual, you know, you want to get the highest marks possible, right? And yes. uh, sometimes you can and sometimes you don't. And that's okay too. Right. We can't slide by with a C plus. It's just not no. a fly. No, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Now on the flip side, what have you allowed yourself to be emotionally vulnerable with your team and how did it impact your relationship with them moving forward? Being emotionally vulnerable is not an easy thing, I would say, for anybody, any leader, professional. We want to come off as the person who knows how to do anything and everything. But to just be quite honest, that's just an unrealistic expectation of oneself. I'm sure you've probably heard of Gallup Strengths Finder. Sure. And Gallup Strengths Finder, it was something that, again, through the years that I did the tests and we identified that out of my top six, like four of them are in strategy, strategic. Mm-hmm. And so what's happened that I've learned about myself through understanding Gallup, but also understanding where my personal skill sets lie, is that I'm great with reading, planning, plotting, pivoting based off of the environment, all of those things from a strategic perspective. But at times, I'm not so great with the detailed path on how to get there. I can do it, but it doesn't come as naturally for me as it might come naturally for others and my colleagues and those peers around me. So once I decided that it's okay to let people in on that somewhat of a vulnerability, what I found was is people were very supportive of the fact that I may not be very detailed in that pathing to hit that objective, but they were. And I saw my peers and colleagues begin to volunteer to help me through that and give me some pointers on how we can better plan, you know, to where we have less pain in that process of reaching my strategy, right? To the flip side, because I made myself vulnerable over time, I had learned that they were somewhat vulnerable on the strategic side. So when they had something that needed planning, thought, etc., they reached out to me. And so what I found was because I allowed myself to be vulnerable at that point, we actually gelled to be a really solid group because they helped me in some areas of weakness and I helped them in some areas of weakness. Can I ask you for a detail about that? When you brought that up the first time to your peers or your teammates, how did that conversation go? What did you say? Hey, by the way, you probably are frustrated that you keep telling me stuff and I keep forgetting it or, you know, and here's why my brain. How did that go? Again, we don't like to be vulnerable, right? That's not really in our nature. But I actually tested it out with somebody that I was closer to. And I wasn't testing it out like, here, let me test this out on you. I was just testing it out to see their reaction And to see what their thoughts were as I'm saying, you know what? I'm really not great at details. And to this day, she's a great colleague. She very lovingly said, well, I am. I'll help you out. And at that moment, it kind of changed the fact that that was something that I had been, I don't want to say struggling with because I can do it, but it's harder for me to do it. But it comes so naturally to her. So I began that with just one person, somebody who I was confident and comfortable with, you know, that best friend at work type of scenario. Mm -hmm. 
And then as I continued down that path, there were others that I would communicate that with. And I would tell them, as we would have a dialogue, I'm seeing so far into the future. And they would tell me, well, you know how hard that's going to be to get there? Well, I don't. Talk to me about that. Help me understand how Mm. difficult it's going to be because maybe I don't see it. And so the more I did that and became, again, more vulnerable with more people, the better off we as a group became. And it really was just that easy to say, look, I'm really not so great with details. And she went, I am. And that's all it was. There was no fanfare. There was no apocalyptic. Not at all. But what it did is it brought my confidence level up that I'm allowed to be vulnerable Mm. because she didn't tear me down or judge me or say, well, I don't know what you're going to do, but you know, none of that. It brought my confidence level up that I'm allowed to be vulnerable. And therefore, when I push that forward to the next person, I was a lot more comfortable. It was a lot easier for me to do it. Nice. Nice. And then that becomes part of the parlance, part of the language of the team is to say, I need help with this, or I'm not so good at that. I got you covered. It does. And in fact, after that, with various teams that I've had since that time, we have always gone through some exercises about talking about what our strengths and weaknesses were. Again, it's not always easy, but the point about it is, is to understand the strengths and weaknesses. And if there are ways that we can complement each other, then we're more of a solid team as a result of it. Perfect. And what about a time on the other end of it where you needed to assert yourself more powerfully? How did that go? (laughs) Also tricky. These are some tricky questions. So also (laughs) kind of tricky is some time back, I had some concerns about some risk of the organization. And in that risk of the organization, based off of what I was forecasting, what my mitigation strategy was, et cetera, my belief was is that we needed to carve off some of the earnings that we had for the year and put them to one side to mitigate future risk and financial health of the organization. And the person, unfortunately, that I had to challenge a bit was the CEO, my boss at the time. Okay. And that's not always an easy thing to do because he, again, is your boss. Now, this is what a lot of people refer to as speaking truth to power, managing up, showing somebody who overrule, who over outranks you and has an awful lot of control. It can make your life very, very miserable if circumstances were right to be able to say in not so many terms, I think you're wrong. I think we need to do this. Your idea is not going to take us in the right direction please listen to me on this one. That's some thin ice. It is thin ice. But at the end of the day, I did have to be brave with it. I couldn't force myself on it. So what I did was I provided the data and that didn't bring him around. I provided the economics, the forecast, all of those things that one would think is all that's necessary, but it didn't quite do it. So because I knew or felt based off the forecast that the risk was so great to the organization, I didn't stop when he said no. What I did was I began somewhat of a drip campaign where when I had my regular meetings with him, I would drop a little hint about that risk. I would drop another little hint about that risk. I would bring in a little bit of a forecast. And over the course of, I'm going to say around six weeks or so, his position began to soften. It didn't completely switch, but it did begin to soften. So as it softened, where I finally made it over that hurdle was I brought in him as an individual because I positioned it as if we do this and that risk is there, you're going to look as though you'd had some great 
foreshadowing that you knew was happening in the economics and industry and the risk. And you're going to look great if this comes to pass. And if it doesn't come to pass, then you're going to also look like you're a planner. You're making sure that the organization's risk is covered. And if the worst thing that can happen is we would pull those funds back over to income. And once it was initially, it was a solid no. Then it was, let's talk a little bit more. Then it was a drip campaign. Then it involved the CEO individually. And unfortunately, I was correct. And he and me through him, he looked really, really well because he protected the risk of the organization. He protected the overall financials of the company and looked wise as a result of it. Good for you for sticking with it. It sounds like that took a lot of tenacity to just slowly wear him down until he sort of saw the side of it. My seven-year-old, I think, is following in your footsteps, except with a lot less finesse, just the constant, like, I will not let you go until you see the light, mommy, how this is. But it sounds like your plans are a lot better organized than his. Well, that was it. And the thing is, I always look at what's the worst thing that can happen in any given decision that we make. And the worst thing that can happen really wasn't too bad. And I felt like I would have to take a gamble on this one. But through the data, through the providing information, understanding where the CEO was coming from, because he ultimately was responsible for the organization's revenue, and then bring it back to him as an individual, overall, it succeeded. And that's, again, back to that what's in it for me phase, that WIFM thing. And really, the diplomacy that strikes me in this is, of course, two sides of the same coin, framing it from the perspective of, if A happens, you've been able to project a good image, to save face, to come out you know, smelling like the rose, as it were, on the other side. And if the other side happens, you still look good, as opposed to if X happens and you don't, you're going to look terrible. This is going to be an embarrassment. It's not the threat evolution. It's the carrot versus the stick. There's a, a good definition that diplomacy is the ability to make a point without making an enemy, or better yet, that it's the ability to let someone else have your way. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And that was also a successful feeling for me, having gone through that process with him. I felt good about what had taken place, and I really felt good knowing that the organization was in a better spot. And I thought very highly of the CEO. I didn't want him to look bad. Of course. So anyways, it turned out for the best, I would say. I would say that too. And I'm going to ask you to say something else. As a matter of fact, I'm going to ask you to levy a challenge. I think this is a great opportunity to shift to our listener 24-hour influence challenge. So Luke, I would love for you to take just a moment, talk directly to our audience and challenge them to take one step that they can complete within 24 hours to have more influence. I would say the art of persuasion, which is essentially we all need support. It does not matter what level of the organization. You're always going to need support on something. And so the art of persuasion is to go in advance of a presentation or go in advance of a meeting and talk to an individual or two that you may need their support. And what happens in that persuasion time, you're likely going to be in a smaller group just you and the other individual, your passions about whatever topic can come out a little bit easier. They may want to ask more questions than perhaps they would in an open setting. So you can have more free-flowing one-on-one dialogue with them to bring them over to your side in advance of 
the big meeting that you may have. So my challenge would be identify any topic it may be that you may need support on and talk to an individual in advance of that big meeting that you're going to have or before you need a decision on something. Have a dialogue with them in a relaxed environment. Show your passion about it. Answer all the questions in a very relaxed way and see if that outcome is what you initially thought it would be, or do you think that outcome was changed with persuasion? And I want to make sure that everybody out there who is listening is hearing the right word. Persuasion is one thing, but persuasion, that's the great title of a really fantastic book, highly recommended for everybody, and we'll be sure to put it in the show notes, called Persuasion by Robert Cialdini. And he is just a great author on leadership, leadership communication, but it's the idea of building the foundation of the buy-in first so that you get that yes when the time comes. Did I, did I summarize that well, Luke? We did a fantastic job. That's exactly what it is. You know, I lived in Japan for a number of years and the Japanese have a great expression they use. It's called nemawashi, which means literally to dig around the root. So rather than walking up to the situation and just trying to grab the plant by the stem and yank, you know, break ground a little bit, loosen it up, see where there's some give. And once you've worked all the angles, so to speak, then you can pull and get that harvest a lot faster. Exactly. And I will tell you, I have used this many, many times because there are times when we have something that's going to be a hard decision. And when you do this, they have that time to bring their shoulders down about that decision and ask their questions and get comfortable with it before you go into that big meeting. Right. Especially because there are a lot of people and the higher up you go, of course, the bigger the decisions are that need to be made. So a lot of people really aren't prone one way or another to making fast decisions particularly on big issues. So they need time to digest it, to weigh it back and forth, pros and cons. So to be able to lay some of the groundwork ahead of time gives that dust a chance to settle so that when you are having the big conversations, they've already done enough of the digestion that they're ready to contribute what you need them to contribute. Yes, absolutely. Love it. Love it. Okay, everybody. So think about a time when you need to uh, do a little bit of persuasion and in order to do so, prepare some persuasion, set up a couple of conversations, drop an email, something along those lines. But think about how you're going to do those initial steps and dig around that route. Perfect. What about a time when you needed to inspire others, Luke? What happened? We have to inspire every day. If you're going to be a leader, you have to be able to inspire. I would say one time at this organization, in fact, when I first arrived here, the organization needed to evolve. We were a large organization that was really functioning like a smaller company. And we needed to evolve because consumer demand has changed over time and so forth. So helping people to understand why we needed to evolve was very, very important because having done certain processes and been in certain circumstances for so long, it's hard for us as a human being to want to change. So having those conversations with them was very important. And we also laid out a really good plan to do change management. But that wasn't the inspiring part. The inspiring part, I would say, there's a couple of points here. One, letting people know what's in it for them. We've talked about this several times so far in the podcast. Letting people know what's in it for them is very, very important. 
if they know that there's something in it for them, they may buy in a little bit easier. Sure. Also helping them to understand what the end goal is in this situation. We're not trying to change for the simple fact of change. We want to do it so that the organization can evolve into a growing organization. But something else that I would say that I did, and I would say it was actually really successful, but it was at the individual level. Again, I'm very much on the human side. Human beings were all different, and you have to do certain things for individuals that maybe you wouldn't do for a group. So one of the things that I would do was I would have the conversation for those who I knew perhaps weren't verbalizing that they were struggling, but I can tell that they were struggling. And I would have them come by or I would stop by their desk, very, very nonchalant, just stopping by. And I'd have a conversation about the change. And I would tell them, hang in there, stick with me here. We're going to get through this together. And we're going to be talking about this in two or three years time about how it was compared to how it is. And I will guarantee you to this day, we do talk about that. We talk about the struggles that we all as an organization went through during that time. They remember what it was. But I wanted to, at that time, let them know that they were a part of this change, that we didn't want them to leave, that we wanted them to be growing with this organization into the future. And so I think the inspiration came from they believed that we wanted them. They believed that the organization needed to evolve as well because we showed them the proof of that. But they were beginning to be inspired. And I will tell you, it took a while, a couple of years. After that time, we had everybody on board. I mean, it did take some time, but now none of the resistance exists. And I think that we're better off as an organization as a result. Beautiful, beautiful. Now, tell me about a time when you've interviewed candidates for leadership roles and when you've met someone, interviewed someone and thought to yourself, wow, this person really has it. What was that it factor? How did you recognize it? It is passion. Mm. Passion about the job, passion about what you do, engage about how much you enjoy doing what you do. Because those that have passion for what they do, one, they just enjoy it more. And so they're going to be perhaps be happier in their role, but they're going to go even further than those that are really here to just get a paycheck. So for me, if I have multiple candidates, many of them will have the same background, the same experience, education and so forth. But when one comes in and is excited about it, that is the it factor for me. I know that they're going to be passionate about what they're doing. In my case, we care about our members and who they are as individuals. And if they bring that to the table, wow, you've got me there. What would you say to people who, because I mean, passion, look, I'm doing this because I'm passionate. You're doing your work because you're passionate about it. For somebody who says, okay, well, you know, I don't know how to show passion. I mean, I could say I'm passionate about something, but you may or may not believe me. And do I have to be melodramatic? And do I have to act? How do I show passion if I'm more of a laid back, kind of introverted, kind of fill in whatever label you want? How do you demonstrate it? Well, I'll tell you, you may or may not realize it, but I am actually an introvert myself. Okay. I am an introvert. But it's not hard to show passion and you can verbalize it. You can say, you know, I love X, Y, and Z topic, or I love, for me, I love seeing a consumer be successful with their financials. I just love that. And I can give a story about how I helped somebody. There's all kinds of ways to be able to express your passion for what you're doing without being a complete extrovert. We don't have to get loud about it. We can just talk through it. 
just because you're not melodramatic does not mean that you don't have passions inside. Find ways to be able to communicate that because it will come off as a very positive thing, especially in an interview. I think that something you mentioned is even when you say it, to state it, what matters most, I think, is the sincerity that's felt. If you're more of a soft-spoken low-key kind of person. But when you say that you're passionate, you can't help but smile and it comes through your eyes and people can feel that you genuinely love this, then that's just as good and maybe better, frankly, than somebody who goes, oh, I just love this. I want to do it every day. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. But it's the sincerity factor, the alignment, your words, your voice, your body language, your facial expressions, all those kinds of things that help the listener to perceive what you're sending as passion or overacting. And I think that's the key is if it's sincere. It has to be sincere. And I think you hit the nail right on the head. If you're able to demonstrate that, we all can demonstrate it. We can all demonstrate it. But if you're able to project that in some way that that you're comfortable with, do so. Because again, I think you can compare people and individuals and skill sets and, and knowledge, add that on top of it, and it'll put you ahead of the next candidate. Well, that is a super powerful place, I think, to put a period at the end of our conversation. Luke, it has been such a joy talking with you today. How can people learn more about you and Members' Choice Credit Union? Sure. If you ever wanted to know anything about Members' Choice Credit Union, go to mccu.com. And everything there is right there available for you to see. We're definitely willing to help. And even if you're someone who's not living in this area and wants some guidance on what to do with your financials, we're here. We'll help you. So please do please log in. Wonderful. Well, this has been so much fun. Thanks again for joining me today, Luke. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it. And to everybody else out there, thank you as always for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe if you haven't done so yet so that you never miss an episode. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or your platform of choice so we can help even more people to increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And finally, of course, if you want to download my free guide to equipment recommendations for virtual influence, including my picks for microphones, lights, and more, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Socola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Socola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please, Go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.